all-time favorite is uh, when General Maximus turns the tables on the evil emperor, and uh, you just you just got to see this when he just says what Remove he says. Remove your helmet and tell me your name. My name is Maximus Decimus Meridius, commander of the armies of the north, general of the Felix Legions, loyal servant to the true emperor, Marcus Aurelius, father to a murdered son, husband to a murdered wife, and I will have my vengeance in this life or the next. Isn't that awesome? Don't you wish you could talk like that? Somebody is like given a hard time and all of a sudden you go into this really well-spoken blah, 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 and the person's like, that's awesome. I wish I could do that. I'm working on it, no. Uh, but, uh, you know, we love it in a movie when all of a sudden things are going bad. You know, maybe it's the bully in the hallway and all of a sudden the bully has like superhuman um, powers and does some kind of thing, and everyone's like, oh, yeah, you know, we just, we just love that. Uh, another one is uh, with um, Denzel Washington, a uh, man on fire, uh, another kidnapping situation, and he's, he's working his system, and, and this is what he says. I love this. He says, forgiveness is between God and them, or them and God. It's my job to arrange the meeting. Oh, that is, you know, like, yes, 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 that's awesome. But the reality is, as we start to unpack this and we start to look at Joseph, we're going to see that maybe revenge and maybe that gotcha moment is great for TV, a movie, a story. But in reality, those of us who claim to be Christ followers, that's not to be the way that we organize our lives. We're not to be making our choices to, in a sense, Pay somebody back. That's not our job. And as we've been looking at Joseph over the last four weeks, we continue to come back to a guy of character. And we're going to see now he's about 40. It's been 23-ish years since he's seen his family that sold him off into slavery. And now we're almost at the place where we're going to say, yes, the aha moment comes, the tables are going to be turned, Joseph finally gets to give it to his brothers, and yet somehow he's not caught up with that. Somehow all the hurt that he experienced, and never minimize it, he experienced a ton of hurt, somehow he's able to get to a place where that hurt that pain, all those things uh, that just, uh, just were horrible, tragic for him, has not like, captured his heart. He actually seems to be free from it, and he's actually even able to free those, the, the, those that have done those things to him. What amazes me about Joseph is he really lives out these words of Jesus when Jesus said, I'm telling you to love your enemies, let them bring out the best in you, not the worse. And I don't know who you consider your enemies, who that person is that just, man, if you had the moment, you would at least like thinking about paying back that person, 
or, or maybe it's a, it's just a, it's a, it's a horrible situation. Maybe again, coming back to all the things that are going on in our country right now, and you're j- just feeling that, feeling that out, and and you're reacting. I'm reacting to these things. Wouldn't it be great of whatever these adversities are, these people that are after us or whatever? Wouldn't it be wonderful if all of a sudden what they did actually brought out the best in us. Joseph does that. Joseph allows the best to come out of him because of all he faces. And it makes the world a better place. And so when I think about that, and I think about situations, and you know, we all have some of those hurts, some of them are deeper than others, uh, some of them are a lot. Some of them are maybe this one time, and it still stings, as it naturally ought to. But wouldn't it be unbelievable, like Joseph, if when the pressure is on, when someone's after us, rather than taking revenge, rather than trying to turn the tables on them and have an aha moment where we put them in the pl- their place, we find that those kinds of moments, those experiences, not instantaneously, but over time, actually bring the best out in us. And those of us who have said yes to Christ, those of us who are Christ followers, that's definitely possible for us. That's definitely an option for us. And Jesus actually wants us to grab a hold of that option where no matter how hard life is, no matter how mean and nasty someone sticks the knife in our back and twists it, no matter what crime has been committed against us, no matter what betrayal you and I have experienced, that we can move in it and through it and underneath it and get to the place where it actually brings out the best in us, not the worst in us. Paul writes just about being in Christ in Ephesians. He says this, It is in Christ that we find out who we are and what we're living for. Long before we first heard of Christ and got our hopes up, he had his eye on us, had designs on us for glorious living. Part of the overall purpose he is working out in everything and everyone. So those of us who have said yes to Christ, have God joined our lives, We have the Holy Spirit living within us, connected to us, a part of our life. We get our meaning from that relationship with him. We get strength from that relationship with him. We have encouragement from that relationship with him. And then you and I can have those situations in life that are hard and difficult bring out the best in us. And doesn't, that doesn't only free us, but it also is an extremely powerful way of pointing others to the value of following Christ. When you and I are able to do that, people notice. Because most people can't do that. Most people if, can't, can't let it go, can't not do revenge. And it's interesting, as we look at, at Joseph, he had all the power. The only thing that's going to limit his, is, is, his possibility of revenge is his imagination. He could have done anything. But somehow, because of his walk with God, 
he's able to let all these hardships bring the best out in him. We read this towards the end of his life. He says this, uh, It is true, talking to his brothers, that you planned to do something bad to me, but really God was planning good things. God's plan was to use me to save the lives of many people. And we can even celebrate those concepts when we talked earlier about 4th of July. We talk about our country, those that have given much so that we could celebrate a 4th of July, so that we can have freedom. They went through some hard things, some difficult things, some uh, things that uh, even talking about them, I, I don't like talking about them because it's, they're, they're just too much, and words cheapen their acts of service, their acts of kindness, their, their service for us, same way with, with, with Joseph, but it saved the lives of others. If you need to catch up, they're available online, uh, various places for part one through four. So let's uh, go right into it and get into Genesis chapter 42. I'll be reading most of the verses from the message translation. Uh, a guy named Eugene Peterson, uh, when he uh, translated from the original language, he didn't start with English. This guy is a Greek and Hebrew scholar, Hebrew for obviously the Older Testament. Uh, he would incorporate the context and the ideas that go with that to kind of bring that out because some of us, uh, most of us, don't know all that's going on. So you see that flavor uh, get put as he, as he paraphrases and translates it. So Genesis 42, beginning in verse 1. When Jacob learned that there was food in Egypt, he said to his sons, Why do you sit around here and look at one another? I've heard there is food in Egypt. Go down there and buy some so that we can survive and not starve to death. Jacob, also known as Israel, the father, is, is seeing the, the famine is just kicking it up and getting harder and harder and harder, and they're getting to the place where they don't have food. It's well known that somehow Egypt was able to prepare for this. So he says to his guys, go to Egypt and get some food, or we are going to be in big trouble. Ten of Joseph's brothers went down to Egypt to get food. Jacob didn't send Joseph's brother Benjamin with them. you got to remember that Joseph and Benjamin had the same mom, Rachel, and, uh, and uh, so she was not sent. So they keep Benjamin back because all that Jacob knows is Joseph was uh, killed, you know, 20-some years earlier. He was afraid that something bad might happen to him. So Israel's son joined uh, everyone else that was going down to Egypt to buy some food for Canaan, too. For Canaan was hit by the famine. Then we jump down a couple over to verse 6. Joseph was running the country at this point. He's probably about 40 again. He was one who had given out rations to all the people. When Joseph's brothers arrived, they treated him with honor, bowing to him. This is where the music's supposed to go, da-da-da-da, you know, and Joseph's supposed to go, ah you know, and, and all of a sudden there's this moment of super-duper revenge, and I'm Joseph, and all of this stuff, but uh, we don't see that happening. Joseph uh, recognized them immediately, but treated them as strangers and spoke roughly to them. He said, where do you come from? From Canaan, they said. 
We've come to buy food. Joseph knew who they were, but they did not know who he was. Joseph remembered the dreams he had had. He had dreamed of them. Remember way back, he's like 17. He's had these dreams. He's close to 40 now. We're 40. He had these dreams where, where the corn stalks would all bow to him. This is all figurative that this Joseph would have his brothers bow to them. They obviously didn't like this. Even his dad didn't like this. And so he says to them, you're spies. You've come to look for our weak spots. That's exactly, in a sense, what the brothers had said to Joseph when he had gone out to see them. You're, you're spying for dad. You remember he had brought, bad, bad, he brought back bad reports to his dad. His dad told him to kind of knock it off. But So the same thing's going on. He's saying, you're spying on us, just like you accused me of spying on you. But that's not the case. They said they were 12 of us brothers, sons of the same father in the country of Canaan. The youngest is with our father, and one is no more. But Joseph said, it's just as I said, you're spies. This is how I will test you. As Pharaoh lives, you're not going to leave this place until your younger brother comes here. Again, he's told a lot of the story out, out and uh, he knows that there's this younger brother, but he knows because he knows them, he's their brother. And then they started talking amongst themselves. Now we're paying for what we did to our brother. We saw how terrified he was when he was begging us for mercy. We wouldn't listen to him. And now we're the ones in trouble. Reuben broke in. Didn't I tell you don't hurt the boy? But no, you wouldn't listen. And now we're paying for his murder. Again, this is a great another place for him to go, Aha! I'm Joseph, and now you're going to pay. He doesn't do that. We go on. Joseph was using an interpreter, so they didn't know that Joseph was understanding every word. Joseph turned away from them and cried. The hurt, the anguish, it's all there. There's a lot of raw emotion on Joseph's part. I wonder if he's still trying to figure out what he's going to do. Is he going to pull the, the revenge arm? Is he not going to do that? Is he going to pull that lever? What, what is he going to do? I, I know he knows what he ought to do, but still, he's in the moment. He's going back and forth. He was unable to speak again. He told Simon and had him, he, he took Simon and had him tied up, making a prisoner of him while they all watched. Story continues on. Then Joseph ordered that their sacks be filled with grain, that their money be put back in each sack, and that they give rations for the road. That was all done. They loaded their food supplies on their donkey and set off. When they stopped for the night, one of them opened his sack to get food for his donkey. There at the mouth of his bag was his money. He called out to his brothers, My money has been returned. It's right here in my bag. They were puzzled and frightened. What is God doing to us? You ever been in a situation like that where something starts to fall apart in your life and you remember that time where you uh, didn't do something right and you make the connection and go, maybe God's getting after me for my actions in the past. These brothers were thinking of that. And again, this is now uh, 20-something years later. What is God doing to us? So, story continues to unfold. They go back, 
And, uh, you know, they uh, get there and they see Jacob and Jacob, again, is very upset and Jacob uh, refused for them to go back. My son will not go down with you. His brother is dead and he's all I have left. I have something, if something bad happens to him on the road, you will put my gray, uh, well, I'm reading one verse ahead of you, right? everything is against me. And, uh, and then he goes on, you're going to put my gray head down in sorrow. And if you know the story of Jacob, you'll remember that Jacob had actually been dishonest with his life. He had stolen his brother Esau's birthright. So it's interesting what comes around sometimes does come around. And Jacob is thinking that and thinking about, oh, man, I, you know, I've done these things too. And, and I, I just can't, I can't lose another son. And, you know, that, this is a special moment, though, for us. There's a, there's, a, there's a tipping point for each other. When we get to the end of our rope, when we get to the end of it, there's a tipping point. We either are going to go one way or the other way. And one of the wonderful things that can happen when we get to the bottom, when we get to the end of our rope, is we realize that God is all we have. When you think God is all you have, you realize God is all you need. Sometimes we can go the other way. We just turn our back on God. But there's, there's this moment, there's this moment of time where things are falling apart and we either come to the conclusion, boy, God is all I have. That's all I have to, to put the weight of my life on. And then you realize that's all you need. And all of a sudden you start to see yourself walking through that difficult time. Or, and we've all dabbled with this if we've been following Christ for a little while, we get to that point and we go, what is God doing? And there's a moment we can say, am I going to lean into him or am I going to lean away from him? And sometimes we can do all that leaning in and leaning away from him internally. No one around us knows it. It's not until the next situation happens. And then all of a sudden things start to blow out. And then all of a sudden people start to realize, wow, he, he, doesn't, he or she doesn't seem to really be following Christ. I wonder what happened. Did that situation kind of cause everything to go, on, on, go haywire? And you realize when you look into it that it was really six months ago. It was really a year ago. But when you think God is all you have, you realize that God is all you need. So they go back talk their father into letting Benjamin go with them. And so they get there, and uh, they get there, and they have dinner, and it's amazing. The dinner happens, and uh, as they're having dinner, uh, you know, Joseph has them ordered in age and all of this kind of a thing, and this is like a wild blow-your-mind thing. How did he know that, you know? And they still don't have any idea who he is. Uh, if you know the story, they, he gives Benjamin more than all the other brothers, and they don't squabble about it, which seemed to be out of characteristic. Again, uh, Joseph's trying to see where their hearts are. Have they changed in the last 20 years or not? Uh, so they get their stuff, and they get ready to go, and uh, they leave, and uh, all of a sudden, uh, Joseph sends his, his servants after them and uh, says, you've stolen from us. And, you know, the brothers are like, ah, you know, and all this kind of thing. And they say, if, if the one who's got the cup, he can be put to death or all of us and all this kind of thing. And then what happens is this. The steward searched the bags, going from the oldest to the youngest. The chalice showed up, the cup showed up in Benjamin's bag. And this is like horrifying to them. Because what this means is the son that Jacob loved the most is in big trouble. 
and the brothers do not want to have to go back to talk to Jacob about this. So instead of writing Benjamin off, the brothers of 20 years earlier would have probably done that. This is what happens. They ripped their clothes in despair, loaded up their donkeys, and went back to the city. Joseph was still at home when Judah and his brothers got back. They threw themselves down on the ground in front of him. Again, this is just amazing in a sense to Joseph. Joseph is seeing a change in heart that they actually care about their other brother as much as they care about themselves. They care about their father. Uh, this, this is completely different as Joseph's watching this all unfold before him. We read a little farther on. It says, Joseph couldn't hold himself in any longer. Keeping up a front before all of his attendants, he cried out, leave, clear out, everyone leave. So there was no one with Joseph when he identified himself to his brothers. But his sobbing was so violent that the Egyptians couldn't help but hear him. The news was soon reported to the Pharaoh's palace. Joseph says to his brothers, I am Joseph. I'm sure their jaws just dropped. Is my father really still alive? You ever been in a meeting or been in a conversation where a piece of information comes out and you almost are like stuck there and you don't hear what else is going on in the room? It's kind of like you've been shut down. They're just speechless. They couldn't believe what they were seeing or what they were hearing. Come closer to me, Joseph said to his brothers. Sure, they're now coweringly closer. Is he going to take a swipe at me? Is he going to hit me with something? That really cool sword he's walking around with. Maybe he's going to smack me with it. I don't know. I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into Egypt. But don't feel badly. Don't blame yourselves for selling me. God was behind it. God sent me here ahead of you to save lives. They, I'm sure they can't even imagine what they're hearing. I almost can't imagine it when I'm reading it. I mean, this, this seems to me like a fairy tale story. Who does this? Who has all the power? Who has the moment where they can cause payback in somebody else's life and at least just doesn't do it a little bit? Now, you and I may not be in this much power over somebody else's life, but sometimes we can withhold something. Uh, we can let a story go out about somebody, just kind of let it go unchallenged just because we're irritated with that person because of something they did to us. Uh, sometimes uh, we just don't give somebody time of day. Whatever it is, you and I can, maybe, maybe we wouldn't call it revenge, maybe we wouldn't call it payback, but you and I, when it comes to the relationships in our lives, if somebody has really done us something wrong and all of a sudden we're in a, in a place where we can actually exercise some control over a situation, you and I can kind of dance around the edges and, and kind of do a little bit of revenge stuff, a little bit of payback stuff, and, and feel like we're really not being that bad, but, but we can do that. But here Joseph is, he's not doing any of that. We read on, there has been a famine in the land now for two years. The famine will continue for five more years. Neither plowing nor harvesting. 
God sent me ahead to pave the way and make sure there was a remnant in the land to save your lives in an amazing act of deliverance. So you see, it wasn't you who sent me here, but God. That, that's a powerful situation. Have you ever had someone do something in your life that puts you in a different place, change the path of your life from your perspective, and, and, it, and it hurt? And have you ever gotten to the place again? Joseph's been at this for 20-something years, so this wasn't last week. Have you ever gotten to the place where all of a sudden you could say, God sent me here. This is unfolded this way for this day. Amazing that Joseph can actually say that. He sent me in this place as a father to Pharaoh, but put me in charge of his personal affairs and made me ruler of all Egypt. Hurry back to my father. Tell him, your son Joseph says, I'm the master of all Egypt. Come as fast as you can and join me here. The story of, of Joseph is amazing. He's living the dream. Now we're through the nightmares. He's living the dream, and what is he doing with that dream? He is not, in a sense, being revengeful to his brothers who deserved it so much. Now, when I say these kinds of thoughts, I, I, I want to be clear. This doesn't mean you enable bad behavior. It doesn't mean that you allow someone to be abusive towards you. We're not talking about that. Those are some of the extreme things, and, and some of us have had that. That's a whole different working through. But when it comes to holding somebody in revenge and, and actually hurting them and trying to upset their life, this is, this is what we're talking about. A number of years ago, I was involved with consulting a church where the pastor's wife had had an affair. And, uh, and it was involved with uh, this, these two couples, the pastor and his wife and this other couple were really good friends, and it's what happened. And, and I can re remember meeting with the pastor, and, and the pastor, I felt, from my perspective, wasn't dealing with this at, at a heart level. He was saying that he was hoping to get restored so that he could uh, go out to coffee with this guy who had been with his wife. And I'm like, that that's, sounds a little weird. He goes, well, I want to forgive him. And, you know, I'm like, you know, I said, to him, I said I'm, I'm, really th I'm really hoping that you get to the place where if you see him walking down the road, you don't, like, aim your car at him. That's what I'm, I'm hoping. What you're projecting here, I don't, I don't think, I think there's something disconnected in your heart. Yes, you, you, should, you shouldn't want to hurt this person, but, again, you're not going to be best buddies again after this kind of situation had gone on, on for a long while. So, so, again, there are those kinds of situations out there, but this idea of, of withholding revenge and understanding that in many of these situations where someone has hurt you and hurt I, it does something uh, within this. Now, if you're not a Christ follower, th this is even really harder to get, get your mind around. Uh, today is a, typically a communion Sunday, and I'm going to give you some instructions about communion on the way out uh, later on in just a few minutes. But uh, for those of us who have said yes to Christ, we understand, uh, get a glimpse of what forgiveness really means. So 
Those of us who, who know Christ as our personal Savior, know God, need to realize for those who know God, we need to trust him to bring about justice. So we realize that we are not, in a sense, uh, the ones to figure out these situations and be the judge in these situations. Uh, Paul writes to the Romans, don't insist on getting even. That's not for you to do. I'll do the judging, says God. I'll take care of it. And there are situations where you and I have just got to lean back and say, I'm going to let you take care of it, God. I don't even want to be involved with it because, I, I, in a sense, I don't trust myself. It's kind of funny, but I knew there were times when I would get my mother so angry with me because I had gotten into something that she would occasionally, in our home it was good that there was corporal punishment. I did get spanked. I, I needed it just talking to me going, David, don't do that again. That wasn't working with me. I needed a little bit more than that. And I can remember a couple times where, where my mother would say, I'm so angry, I'm not going to spank you. I'm like, uh-oh, that means she's really angry. She's really angry. She was going to wait a little bit because she didn't know how much fun she would have spanking me because I'd been so naughty. And, uh, you know, this idea of God will take care of it. There are times where you and I don't have, first of all, the right to do it. You and I haven't been called to be a judge. That's God's thing. Uh, we don't have the right motives. Sometimes we might take a little bit too much pleasure in the payback time. We don't know when to stop, when to whatever. That's not for us. Uh, we also don't have the right perspective. And uh, sometimes we're just not seeing the whole world. I am so glad that in these situations, I can, when I get my spirit-filled heart on board, I can say, God, I'm going to pull back and let you handle that. I'm not going to work behind the scenes to, to kind of like twist it a little bit because I, I have a revengeful spirit to that person. There's been some times where I've had to actually do nice things for a person that's done me wrong just to remind me that I am not the judge. I won't get into that, but there's been times where I've done a nice thing for the person just to reset my heart knowing that uh, that wasn't my job, that was God's job. And, uh, and thankful that it wasn't my job and for the things that I've done, it wasn't some other person's job, it was God's job to correct it in my own life. I'd rather be in the hands of God than in the hands of somebody that I've done something wrong to. Hesitated reading this uh, little prayer that was found uh, near the clothing of a child who died at uh, a concentration camp. But, because again, I, I, feel, I feel a little uncomfortable reading such powerful words. I don't want to cheapen the words because my experiences are not those kinds of experiences. But I thought the prayer was an amazing perspective on when we are tempted to pay somebody back. And the authority that whoever wrote this, we don't know who wrote this, but finding this prayer near the clothing of a, a deceased child that was killed at a concentration camp, it just, just blows my mind. I can't even get my mind around it. But for some of the small infractions in my life, this prayer says something to me. Here it is.
Lord, remember not only the men and women of goodwill, also those of ill will, but do not remember all the suffering they've inflicted on us. Remember the fruits we have borne because of this suffering, our fellowship, our loyalty, our humility, our courage, and our generosity. The greatness of heart which has grown from this trouble. When our persecutors come to be judged by you, let all these fruits we have borne be their forgiveness. Amen. I don't know if I could pray that prayer yet. It's powerful. It's powerful to have the perspective that many of those hurts perpetrated at the hand of another person actually bears a fruit in our lives that is a positive fruit. So this is a group of people, 90,000 women and children were killed at this concentration camp. But someone in that mix wrote this prayer. Our fellowship, our closeness, our loyalty, our humanity, our courage, our generosity, the greatness of heart which has grown from this trouble. That was, they said, was positive in their lives. Let that fruit also be born to those that have done this injustice. It's unbelievable. I think this could have been a prayer at the right time written by Joseph. Because Joseph saw all that came out of his life for those 23 years of uh, really living hell at times. Uh, he doesn't invoke revenge. You see, those who hold on to a grudge just don't get it when it comes to the forgiveness that a Christ follower experiences. I don't want to oversimplify this. I don't want to minimize your pain, your hurt. But there's a part of this where we have to understand that the forgiveness that we've asked for Christ is in the mix of all this. Be even-tempered, content with second place. There's a hard thing. Quick to forgive an offense. Forgive as quickly and completely as the Master forgave you. Sometimes I don't like to go there, but sometimes I go there. Sometimes I go there and I remember some of the things that have been done by me that were mean, nasty, unkind, totally selfish. And God forgave me. Doesn't seem like I did what as bad as that other person, but God forgave me. So I start to digest that. I can think of a couple things where I think someone really did me wrong. Knife in the back kind of thing. Betrayal kind of thing. And uh, then all of a sudden I realize I've kind of done those, some of those same things, at least to God directly. So then that changes it. If, if I am going to experience that kind of forgiveness, 
then I at least want to have open hands for someone else to experience that kind of forgiveness. In the Think It Over section in your message guide, you can read through a story about forgiveness. Uh, sometimes when it comes to this whole thing about not getting it, we're blind to how much we've been forgiven, they've been forgiven. I already talked about this. A, a sign that you've experienced God's forgiveness is the crazy ability to forgive and keep forgiving. That doesn't mean you're a doormat. doesn't mean you enable things. But you and I are ought to have an ability to forgive. And we're not going to get into this, but if you read the rest of the story, you're going to see that there's this moment where Jacob dies and the brothers again are worried that now that Jacob's gone, Joseph is going to have payback time. And Joseph, when he's, he's talked to about this, uh, they make up a little story, and Joseph weeps about it because he realizes they still don't trust the forgiveness they've extended to him. Somehow Joseph gets it. Also, when we don't get it, we're, we're blind to the cost of bitterness. Not only does we think of bitterness causing us to do something ill to somebody else, but whether we act on it or whether we just think on it, whether it's within our heart, there's a cost to bitterness. It, it, it eats us up from the inside out. Guard against turning back from the grace of God. Let no one become like a bitter plant that grows up and causes many troubles with its poison. We often see this in somebody else where somebody else has been wounded and they continue to walk with an obvious limp. And when they get backed into a corner, all of a sudden that becomes more apparent and they react. And the reason they react and don't respond is they're still processing something bitter that happened in their lives and it creates trouble for others. Why did all that emotion come with that situation? That situation didn't equate this kind of emotional response. Why? There's something deep within the heart, within the soul that has not been released, and it's still there. And instead of getting better, they've gotten bitter and bitter and bitter, and it can, it can be like a switch. Sometimes we see that in our own life. Why did I respond that way? And then we realize there's some undone business deep within the recesses of our soul and our heart. You see, there's a cost to holding on to bitterness. There might be this, ha-ha, this pleasure of being able to have a little, ooh, I like what happened to that person, even when it's not at our hand. But that does something deep within our soul. And see, we're blinded to what God wants us to do. God wants us to be a people that expresses forgiveness. And when you assume the posture of prayer communication, talking with God. Remember that it's not all the asking. If you have anything against someone, forgive. Only then will your Heavenly Father be inclined to also wipe your slate clean of sins. This is the idea. If you expect to receive forgiveness for God, you ought to be able to offer it to others. And I don't think God you know, just like slams the door on us. But I think when he lays it on our hearts and we're trying to, to process through, have a conversation with him, but deep within our hearts there's some bitterness that we will not let the good news of Jesus Christ touch. He, he's bothered by that. He's bothered by that. So the bottom line this morning is a forgiven heart, 
A heart that is right with God is a forgiving heart, being right with others. And Joseph lives this out in such a beautiful way that you and I can gain strength, can gain insight. If Joseph somehow could do it, if that could become his way of life, then it's possible for you and I to be that way. And it's not just to be that way so we're not hurting somebody else. It's to be that way so that we have freedom within our soul and, and maybe even more important than freedom within our own soul is the ability to point clearly to the love of Christ. Somebody else can be blessed by your God-given ability to process through forgiveness. We're going to stop here this morning, and we're going to close in prayer. And again, like last week, boy, two weeks in a row, you can go to uh, the website, and you'll see all the blanks filled in for the rest of your message guide, all the information's there. Maybe we'll talk about it next week. I don't know. I'll think about that. But at this point, you're okay if you want the blanks filled in. But Coming back to that idea of a forgiven heart. This morning is Communion Sunday. On the way out, there's going to be uh, two uh, opportunities to pick up little communion cups that look like this. They're very interesting. You peel one back, there's a wafer on top. You peel the back, and there's juice in the bottom. In your message guide, you're going to see that I gave you some instructions so you can actually have communion at home. So maybe as a family, maybe by yourself, a part of your devotions, you can actually have communion by yourself. So when, or with as a family. So when you go out, uh, there'll be a station on both sides. You just need to send one person from your party there. Uh, there'll be somebody there with gloves on, uh, with uh, the these little cups. Is a Ziploc bag. If you need more than there's in the Ziploc bag, they'll take care of that for you. So please uh, feel free to grab some of those on the way home so you can experience communion because communion really points to the forgiveness we've experienced if we said yes to Christ. And it's a sweet reminder of that. So let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we just are blown away by the story of Joseph. Uh, it, uh, it condemns me in some ways because I'm, I, I, I've held some things against people in the past. And sometimes all of a sudden I realize I'm still holding something against somebody. Father, we ask that you would help us to free us from that poison. Help us to see the light of your forgiveness for us. And may that eclipse uh, the hurts and the things that have happened to us. That doesn't mean they don't exist. It doesn't mean uh, they, they didn't hurt. They, don't, they still cause consequences today. But help us not to hold those things against someone else. And if there's someone here this morning who has not said yes to you, has not placed their trust in you, have not admitted their, their need for a Savior, uh, to believe in you, to choose to follow you, we just ask in these moments they would reach out to you and say, God, I want you in my life. I'm thankful for the work of Christ on the cross who forgives my sins. And then may them, as well as us, be able to celebrate communion in the next day or so or this afternoon in our own homes, wherever we're at, in our devotions. And may they be able to celebrate along with us as a real thing in our life, not just a spiritual uh, exercise, but the reality of life that we've experienced your goodness through Jesus Christ. We thank you for moments like these. Lord, we thank you for your love for us. 
We ask this all in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen. Again, we're going to ask you to dismiss from the back forward. Help us with social distancing. Again, we're trying to really honor that and do that well. Uh, again, there will be a little station on the front, on the back, if you want to pick up uh, your uh, little cup for communion. So you can do that on your own. Um, I wouldn't leave these in your car for a week, but uh, that's another story. <laughs> so uh, uh, please uh, take advantage of that. And uh, again, thank you, continue to thank you for your generosity and your sacrificial giving. It's exciting. The roof's going on this week, so as you drive by the church, you'll see that happening. Very thankful uh, for all the way that's working out. And again, thank you for your generosity that literally touches people around the world. I mentioned the Herricks this morning. Uh, Henricks, and you know, they've started back in Ireland, and you help that church function with your generosity and sacrificial giving. So really appreciate that. So enjoy the rest of your Sunday, and we'll see you back next time. Take care. This is going to be our next series next week.